0: Heavenly Father, what an awesome thing it is that we can come into your presence. You are wonderful, you are mighty, you are majestic and holy. You rule the universe and yet you understand us. And you care about what's going on in our lives, in our church, and in our world. Father, we thank you for that. How comforting it is to know that you are loving and gracious and kind. How comforting it is to know that you have a plan for the ages and that all things are moving toward the day when your Son, Jesus Christ, shall return. And we will one day stand in His presence and bow before Him and worship Him as Lord of heaven and earth. We do that today. It's why we're here. We've come to worship You and to lift up Your Son and to make Him known. Father, I thank You. We rejoice as a church today for these three white roses that are at the front that symbolize three people that have come to faith in christ this week and what a joy that is and we know that there is joy in the presence of the angels whenever one comes to faith in you father i pray that you would give us boldness help us to be aware of the opportunities around us to talk about christ and to point others to you and would you give us that great privilege of being able to introduce someone else to jesus as savior and lord We pray, too, today for our students that are at the district conference. Thank you for the opportunity that many of them have had to gather with uh, young adults and teenagers from all around the Minnesota area uh, to come, to learn, to study, to grow in their relationship with you. Would you meet with them in a powerful way? And Father, continue to grow their commitment to you so that when they leave this place, when they uh, graduate from school and go on, that they would be well prepared to continue their walk with God and to serve you wherever they go. And Father, thank you too for the privileges that we have to work together and to serve in our church and in our community. There are many opportunities for us to use our gifts and we want to do that well. When I think of the missionary evangelism to corrections and the program they'll have tonight we ask for your continued blessing upon that ministry on saul and karen selby who lead it and the work that they are doing and the hundreds of volunteers who participate going into the correctional facilities in this area father would you bless that ministry and continue to use it to bring honor to your name and lord as we come today we come with needs of our own and we just Lay them at your feet. We ask you to speak to our hearts. Whether there are personal issues we are dealing with or people that we want to remember before your throne of grace today. Thank you that you know all of that. And Father, now as we bring our gifts and our offering to you, we are grateful for your provision for us. And would you bless and multiply these gifts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are going to be looking at the book of Philemon. And I'd encourage you to turn there if you would. It's a small little letter tucked there between Titus and the book of Hebrews if you need some help in finding it. My guess is that most of you have probably never heard a message on uh, the book of Philemon. Uh, One reason for that is that this is the first time I've ever spoken on this book uh, in uh, Sunday morning service. It's one of those little letters that we don't uh, often look at but is connected to the what happened in Colossians and that's the reason I wanted to include it here in one message this morning and then uh, next Sunday in the weeks that follow we're going to be doing a new series starting in 1 Samuel and looking at some of those stories in that book uh, in the Old Testament if you want to start reading ahead let's take a look at Philemon this morning I'm just going to read part of it as we begin Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning and we look at this whole area of resolving conflict, being a peacemaker, we want to follow Paul's example. And I pray that you would teach us this morning how to do that well in our church, in our personal lives, our families, our relationships with friends, that we would honor you in the way that we handle our difficulties. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what would you think if you came to church on a Sunday morning and a fight broke out? Not just an argument, but actual fist-cuff fight right here in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. Would that surprise you? It would me, I know that. Uh, But that's the situation that occurred in a small Baptist church on the outskirts of Boston several years ago. Chuck Colson tells a story about that in his book, The Body. He writes that it was the right hook that got him. Pastor Waite might have stood in front of the communion table trading punches with head deacon Ray Bryson all morning, had not Ray's fists caught him on the chin two minutes and 15 seconds into the fight. Waite went down for the count at the altar where most of the members of Emmanuel Baptist had first declared their commitment to Christ. Now Donald Waite's navy blue three-piece worsted suit was almost impossible to wrinkle, but two of his front teeth were so loose that he would have trouble eating corn on the cob for the next three summers. And Ray Bryson's hand was broken in two places. Some of the townspeople dubbed him Sugar Ray after that Sunday, but never to his face. Nothing in the history of this rather typical New England community on the outskirts of Boston could have prepared them for that Sunday morning Donnybrook. How did it get to that point? Well, as the story unfolds, you had a rather manipulative and controlling pastor who was using some sort of inside information to get his way in the church. And you had a rather stubborn and strong-willed board that also didn't know quite how to deal with conflict. And so it came to a Sunday morning service where the board was going to announce that they were going to have a meeting to uh, call for the dismissal of the pastor. And the church had already, you know, felt the tension and it had taken sides with half-siding with the pastor, half-siding with the board. And when that announcement was about to be made that Sunday morning, that's when the fight broke out. Extreme Yes, it is an extreme situation. But sadly, all churches will experience conflict at some time. All churches are going to experience conflict at some point. And the real test is how we deal with it. Will we resolve our conflicts in a way that honors Christ? And that's not only true in the church, that is true in all of our relationships to underscore that point, I thought it was interesting that on Thursday morning, I finished writing writing my uh, sermon here that I'm going to give today, and the first two situations that I had to uh, talk about or meet with people after that, both had to do with conflict. I had somebody stop by and ask, you know, do you have a minute, and they wanted to talk, and, and it was about conflict in a marriage. And then uh, it wasn't long after that, I got a phone call and somebody said, you know, do do you have a minute to talk? It was a pastor in another church and saying, you know, I'd like to talk to you about what's going on in our church. And it was about conflict. It's all around us, isn't it? It happens. You know, we have misunderstandings and disputes. Some of those are mild and easy to take care of. But some of our relationships are more difficult in the situations at work or in a family might be quite difficult indeed and we wonder how do we handle this well I really think that's why this letter is included in the scripture it's a very personal letter about a personal matter between two people and so you could wonder well why did this get included in the canon of scripture and it is because it's a very practical, biblical way to handle a dispute between brothers in Christ let me give you the setting. The story's about Onesimus, this slave who stole from his master some money and then ran away. He makes his way from Colossa, where we have been, in uh, what would be modern-day Turkey, and he makes his way to Rome. And there at Rome, he meets Paul. We, we don't know whether it was intentional that he was looking for Paul or whether by chance and God sovereignly brought him to that point. But he comes to know Christ under Paul's ministry. And there he um, uh, has this dramatic change in his life. And Paul sends him back. Philemon is the slave owner who is a member of the church at Colossae. And so Paul writes this letter addressed to him. And Onesimus is sent back to Colossae with this letter. And Paul wants him to be reconciled to his master, to Philemon. This letter was written at the same time as the letter to Colossians. And in fact, Onesimus is one of those uh, people that are uh, bringing this letter back in this situation. It's a delicate situation. Uh, you know, you could imagine how if this was not handled well, how this could split a church. Because in that church, you probably have slaves. And you probably have, uh, you know, other slave owners. I mean, that was common in the Roman world. About one-third to one-half of all the people living in Rome at that time in the Roman Empire were slaves. And so you had people on both sides, and they're wondering, what do we do? How do we handle this? So Paul addresses that situation in a very godly and delicate way. What does it have to do with us, though? That's a personal matter. How does this apply to us? Well, I think that there are principles that we can draw out from this. Number one is that we are a new community in Christ. We are a new community in Christ. And God has called us to live in a way that is different than the world and even to handle our disputes and our difficulties in a way that is different than the world around us. We are to handle them in a way that honors Christ. And so Paul begins this letter in what would be the typical style of his day, where we would write and say, you know, dear Philemon, and begin our letter that way. In their culture, they began by identifying who it was that's writing the letter. And so Paul begins by saying, I'm Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, who is with him, and they are sending this letter. They write to Philemon, and they call him our dear friend and our fellow worker. They address it to Aphia, our sister, who is most likely Philemon's wife, and that's why she is named here. And then it's addressed to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Uh, He is a servant of Christ, and he is very likely the pastor of this house church, this church that's meeting in his home. And so here you have a situation where you are addressing this letter to these three individuals and also to the church at Colossae, to the church at large. Now why would you do that? Well, even though it's a personal matter between two individuals, it will affect the whole church, and it would be naive to think otherwise. In the same way that there are many disputes between individuals in a church, even here, some of those can be dealt with quite privately, and that's what we would want to have happen, where a brother goes to brother, or a sister to a sister, and works it through and that's all you need to do but on occasion there are serious matters that come up where if they are not handled well they're going to affect other people in the body you know people will start to talk or they'll they'll build a constituency over here of people who take one side and people who take the other side and so as leaders in the church you have to navigate that and be good and clear on communication so that that doesn't become something that's divisive in the body of Christ. And that's what Paul was trying to prevent here. He gives this greeting at the beginning, which is customary for Paul, but this one's just slightly different. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think those words were intentionally chosen by Paul because whenever we deal with conflict, what do we pray for? We pray for grace and peace. We pray for the wisdom we need to deal with things in a gracious way. And we pray for peace among those that are on either side of the conflict. And we need to remember that God is our Father and Jesus is the Lord of the church. And that whenever we are resolving conflict or dealing with issues like this, it's a family matter. God's our Father. We are brothers, we are sisters in the body of Christ, and so we want to honor him, and Jesus is present with us. In fact, do you remember the passage that is often quoted, where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I am in the midst of them? That passage is actually dealing with church conflict. It's Matthew 18, it's talking about church discipline, and Jesus is saying that whenever you exercise that, whenever you, Practice discipline in the body of Christ. I am right there with you. Remember that. And do this in a way that honors me. So Paul affirms Philemon, his brother, in verses 4 to 7 in a very positive way. He speaks about his commitment to Christ. This is a man who loves the Lord. This is a man who is sharing his faith in Christ. This is a man who has been growing in maturity And Paul appeals to that and is convinced that Philemon is going to do the right thing. That he will do the right thing in this matter. So here we have a situation where Paul is reminding us we are a new community. We are a family in the body of Christ. In fact, when you look at what the New Testament says about the church, you know there are many different terms that it uses to describe the church, but the primary metaphor is that we are a family in the best sense of the word. And so our relationships with one another are to reflect that. And treating one another with kindness, with respect, with concern for one another's needs, and we work things through. Now here's where the difficulty comes in. If you have not grown up in a Christian family... Or if you have not grown up in a healthy environment, whether it was in the family or church, where you learned how to deal with conflict in a positive way, it can be very difficult to know what to do. And it's real easy to fall back into old habits or old ways of dealing with things. Let me give you an example. This week, uh, a number of our staff went to our district conference, and the main speaker there was a pastor named Peter Scazzaro. He's a pastor in New York City in Queens, New York. And he told about his own personal story and some of the difficulties he had in the church. Uh, He's Italian, grew up in an Italian family where there was constant conflict and fighting. And he said, these were some of the things that I learned in my family. I learned that loud, angry, constant fighting is normal. I learned that sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. I learned that you listen not to understand the other person, but to be able to defend, rebut, or appease. He learned in his family not to expect marriage to be a taste of heaven. There were many unhappy marriages and relationships in his family. And people just didn't get along. There was this constant kind of tension and fighting and sometimes you know you don't talk to so and so or you don't work that through or you avoid this or that. Well that was his background. Now he comes to know Christ when he's in college through the ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Dramatic change in his life. Feels called to ministry. Goes to seminary and then is called to Queens, New York where he starts a church. Church plant. As the church begins to grow it was experiencing tension they're in a very diverse area culturally and you had people from different backgrounds coming together and there was this tension that kept coming up in the church and Peter said you know he always thought it was everybody else's problem you know why can't these people get along you know and and if somebody didn't like him then he was sort of mad at him and he just fell back into his old ways of dealing with conflict because of his family background But he didn't see it in himself. He was like, you know, it's everybody else. Until one day his wife confronted him, eight years into this church plant. And she goes, I've had it. I'm done. I mean, I just, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I don't respect your leadership. I don't want to go to this church. And she wasn't giving up on the marriage, but she was quitting that church. And for two years she went to a different church in New York, Well, this thing got sorted out. Peter said, I had to go to the elder board. I had to go, do you want me to resign? (laughs) You know, here's the situation. This is what's going on. And they gave him um, a time off for a sabbatical, a leave of absence, if you will, to begin to focus on the issues in his own life, in his own heart. And by God's grace, he did. It began a journey that brought about significant change in his life and emotional health and maturity, and he began to see the connection between that. At the conference, he shared about that, and he asked us this question. He said, whose rules are you living by? Whose rules are you living by? And he put it like this. Are you living in your father's house or your father's house, capital F? Are you still living under the same kind of family dynamics that were part of the home that you grew up in? If that was not healthy, or are you now living in your father's house, your heavenly father, where you deal with things in a different way? Let me ask you, for example, how did you handle conflict or communication in your home in which you grew up? You know, did you handle conflict with anger or was there avoidance? Was there yelling? Was there manipulation? Did you withdraw or walk away? I mean, how did you handle that? All of us had certain styles or we could see in our family ways that, you know, disagreements or conflict were handled. Was it in a healthy way? that work things through or they're just up front talk to somebody with respect and you work that through and there was forgiveness and love and understanding and patience. That would be marvelous. But for many people it was not that healthy. And when we come to know Christ we are called to live by a different set of rules as a Christian. And in the body of Christ we're called to do things differently. And so we speak the truth in love. Or we learn to confront if we need to in a way that is gracious and loving that understands that we all have blind spots in our life too where we may not see things in us and we begin to deal with those kind of issues very upfront, very graciously and yet we don't we don't just push stuff under the rug or let sin slide there are times when we have had to and I've been involved in these conversations and I've had to talk to people in our church and I'll say you know what we don't do things that way here That's not appropriate. Or we don't speak like that to one another because of Christ and the difference that he's made in our life. And we we do that because we want to have health in the whole church. If a church doesn't do that, and a church caters in a sense to dysfunctional people, it will become a dysfunctional church. So you've got to deal with things in a godly way that's up front. We are a new community in Christ. Sometimes we need to learn new ways, you can put this up, of communicating, listening, and resolving conflict. Sometimes we need to learn new skills on how to do that. You know, I've been sitting in on our Stephen Ministry training enjoying that. You know, that's a wonderful class that teaches skills about communicating, about listening, about being assertive in a positive way and resolving conflict in a healthy manner. And we've talked about that in our ABFs and other classes, and I'm going to bring that in again when we come to the end. But does that make sense what I'm saying about living by our Father's rules, our Heavenly Father? So when we go on then what we see is as Christians then we are called to forgive one another. We see that in verses eight through twenty one. And forgiveness is to be freely given. So listen to how Paul words these things to Philemon. He says, for example, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. And formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Let's stop there. Do you hear that? He's saying, I appeal to you. I don't order you to do this. I want it to be voluntary. And I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. And Onesimus, there's this pun on his name. Onesimus means useful. And he's saying, in the past he was useless to you. Maybe he was a lazy slave. Maybe that's, he had some rebellion. Maybe that's why he ran away as he did. But here he is saying, he has become useful to you and to me. He goes on in verse 12 to say, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Here again, I want it to be your choice on this. And then he suggests what God may be doing here. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Wow. You know, you walk through and you listen to Paul's gracious appeal here. Paul doesn't even state what he wants Philemon to do. His goal is reconciliation between these two. You can go on to the next slide. His goal is reconciliation, but he hints at emancipation of wanting him to be set free or perhaps sent back to help Paul in his imprisonment. But he wants us ultimately to be Philemon's choice and he is confident that he will do the right thing. Forgiveness is to be freely given on our part. But forgiveness is also costly. And we see that in verses 17 to 21. Someone would bear the cost. Onesimus in that day could have been severely punished. As a slave who had run away and stolen money from his master, he could have been beaten, he could have been whipped, he could have been forced to wear an iron shackle around his neck, Uh, he could have even been put to death. And Philemon, on the other side, if he is to let Onesimus go, he loses some economic gain there. He loses a servant, a worker for him. It is costly for him to let this go. And so what does Paul do? Listen to what he suggests. In verse 17 he says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Paul, in a Christ-like act, intercedes between a disobedient slave and his master, and he says, charge it to me, charge it to me. It is the very same thing that Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserved. Christ interceded between a disobedient slave, if you will, us, servants of sin, and his heavenly Father. And what does he say? He says, Father, charge the debt to me. Charge it to me. It's an astounding statement when you see it in that light of what Paul is saying. Let's do. And he offers to pay this debt. He reminds Philemon. It seems that Paul was the one who had probably led Philemon to the Lord and who had ministered to him. He reminds him of that fact. But he is willing to absorb the cost. And the point of this is that for all of us, when we are in a conflict situation, and if you are the one who has to forgive, it is costly to forgive. Somebody needs to admit the wrong, forgive the hurt, bear the cost. That's forgiveness. But it is the Christ-like thing to do. Let me give you another real example of where this took place. Uh, For years, those of us who are older grew up hearing about the tensions and fighting in Northern Ireland between the Protestants and the Catholics. Constant fighting, constant bombings, retaliation one after the other for wrongs that had been committed. In 1987, an IRA bomb went off in a town west of Belfast. Eleven people died, 63 people were wounded. And there was a man named Gordon Wilson who was a cloth merchant He was a devout Methodist, and he and his daughter were in that shop, and they were buried under five feet of concrete that day. He heard his daughter say these last words before she died. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. And she grasped his hand, and she died. Wilson would spend quite a long period of time recovering in a hospital. And he would say to those who saw him that I've lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie back, and I shall pray every night that God will forgive them. When he had recovered, Wilson crusaded for reconciliation. Protestant extremists on the one side who had planned to avenge the bombing decided, because of the publicity surrounding Wilson, not to do it. They thought that such behavior would be politically foolish. Wilson wrote a book about his daughter. He spoke out against violence and he constantly repeated that love is the bottom line. We need to love one another. He met with the IRA. He personally forgave them. He asked them to lay down their arms. He said, you've lost loved ones just like me. Surely enough blood has been spilled. And when he died in 1995, all Ireland and Britain honored this ordinary man for his uncommon forgiveness. George Wilson made a difference for Christ. He chose to forgive even though that forgiveness was costly. So we in the body of Christ are called to do the same. We are called to forgive and we are called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. Paul will end this letter by saying that he hopes to come and visit Philemon in the future. He says in verse 22, Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. But what about Philemon and Onesimus? What happened? Well, there are things that are suggestive of what happened in the future. For one thing, because this letter is included in the scripture we believe that there was that reconciliation and restoration. But there's also another intriguing letter that was written 50 years later by Ignatius, one of the great Christian martyrs. Ignatius was being taken from Antioch to Rome where he was going to be executed. And he wrote a letter to the churches there, just like Paul had done before to these churches in what would be modern-day Turkey. And he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus and he addressed it to Onesimus, the bishop of Ephesus. Is it the same person? We can't say for certain. But he even makes a pun on Onesimus' name that is the same pun that Paul used here. And could it be... I mean, what a wonderful end to the story to think that this man who once was a slave had been restored as a brother and went on in his faith in Christ to become the bishop or pastor at Ephesus. The goal of reconciliation is to restore relationships. It's to keep the body healthy. It's to keep friendships and relationships intact. David Garland, who wrote a commentary on this passage, said this, he said that getting relationships straight is just as important as getting doctrine straight. You know, sometimes in the church we're just so careful about wanting to prevent doctrinal heresy that we focus on that, and yet while we're focusing on that, there may be what um, Pastor Ron uh, called relational heresy on the other side, where people just they just aren't getting it on this side and how important relationships would be. I was talking with Pastor Jim about that, and he said, you know, when he got called into churches to help with difficulties there in the free church, it never was about doctrine. It was always about relationships. In fact, I would say today that more churches split over relationships than over doctrine. And both are important for a healthy church. Right doctrine, right conduct. So how do we do that? We've got to address things like this. And we've got to work at teaching the skills that promote healthy relationships, good communication, honest, you know, with one another, loving, forgiving, gracious. And one of the ways that we've done that in our church is through the Peacemaker training. And um, Ken Sandy is an author who wrote a book called The Peacemaker. It's been very helpful. We've used this in our district. There have been conferences on it. We've brought it to our church. We've taught this. We make it a part even of our new member class where we go over a peacemaker pledge that we ask everyone to agree to. And I know many of you have seen it, but some of you may be new from the time that we introduce this. And so this morning, as we conclude today, I want us to take a look again at this peacemaker pledge and how we deal with conflict in our church. Let me read this for you. As people reconciled to God by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that we are called to respond to conflict in a way that is remarkably different from the way the world deals with conflict. We also believe that conflict provides opportunities to glorify God, serve other people, and grow to be like Christ. Therefore, in response to God's love and in reliance on His grace, We commit ourselves to respond to conflict according to the following principles. There are four points here. Number one, to glorify God. Would you read this with me? Instead of focusing on our own desires or dwelling on what others may do, we will rejoice in the Lord and bring Him praise by depending on His forgiveness, wisdom, power, and love. As we seek to faithfully obey His commands and maintain a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. Okay, let me pause there. Very first step, we're going to honor God and we make that commitment to Him. Secondly, we're going to get the log out of our own eye first. And would you read this with me? Instead of blaming others for a conflict or resisting correction... We will trust in God's mercy and take responsibility for our own contribution to conflicts, confessing our sins to those we have wronged, asking God to help us change any attitudes and habits that lead to conflict, and seeking to repair any harm we have caused. It is a recognition that in conflict there are two sides. And sometimes there is the innocent victim who is wronged by the other. But many times, both of us, both sides have had a part in this, and so we want to deal with our own heart first. Then thirdly, gently restore. Let's read this. Instead of pretending that conflict doesn't exist or talking about others behind their backs, we will overlook minor offenses, or we will talk personally and graciously with those whose offenses seem too serious to overlook seeking to restore them rather than condemn them. When a conflict with a Christian brother or sister cannot be resolved in private, we will ask others in the body of Christ to help us settle the matter in a biblical manner. Basically, that's saying we will follow Matthew 18. If we have a conflict, we'll go in private to our brother and be reconciled. If that doesn't work, we'll take a third person with us to help. If that doesn't work, then we'll go to the leaders of the church and say, what should we do? And we will submit to their leadership in this. And fourthly, go and be reconciled. Read this with me. Instead of accepting premature compromise or allowing relationships to wither, we will actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation, forgiving others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, and seeking just and mutually beneficial solutions to our differences. And then go on to the next slide. Let's read. By God's grace, we will apply these principles as a matter of stewardship, realizing that conflict is an assignment, not an accident. We will remember that success in God's eyes is not a matter of specific results, but of faithful, dependent obedience. And we will pray that our service as peacemakers will bring praise to our Lord and lead others to know His infinite love. Amen. Will you do that? Can you agree to that? You know, if you'd like to see a copy of that or have a copy of that, there are some at the welcome desk in the foyer you can pick up. And if we run out, we can make more copies on that. But I really appreciate Ken's ministry. I think these are excellent statements of what we want to do in our relationships with one another. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be peacemakers? Peacemakers in our home, in our place of work, in our church, in our community. People who live differently in the world because of what you've done in our life. Help us to honor you and where these things maybe have brought to mind some conflicts we are currently dealing with. Would you show us what our next step is and what it is you want us to do? And help us to live out these principles to honor you, to deal with sin in our own life, to be upfront about it and to speak the truth in love and to go and be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.